the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 4 o'clock, Southern California Live on KKLA, KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for tuning in on a Friday afternoon. Hope you have a nice weekend planned. Hope you are planning to worship together with your local church this weekend. And let me just, can I just say here, um, little Friday afternoon exhortation for you, okay? This is for those of you who, have, who do not have as a default setting on on your calendar that Sunday morning or maybe it's Saturday night for you Sunday sometime that, that you don't have as a default setting worshiping together in your local church over the weekend. This is for those of you who every weekend are, are thinking, are we going to go to church this weekend or not? It's every weekend it's a maybe, maybe not scenario. I've seen the statistics that say that um, that, that church going among younger people today, and younger people, people in their twenties, thirties, even into their forties, uh, church going in um, among that group of people. If you ask them, "Are you a regular churchgoer?" they say yes. You ask them how often they go, and their answer is at least twice a month. They define regular churchgoer as at least twice a month. Now, there are things that come up in all of our lives that may keep us out of our local church on a Sunday morning, whether it's travel, an emergency, something. But the default ought to be that the normal rhythm of our week is that we're worshiping together on Sunday morning in our local church. If that is not your default, it's time to to flip that around and make it the default and not be asking every week, should we go to church Sunday? Not have the kids asking, are we going to church this Sunday? Just have it known. Of course we are. That's what we do. That's who we are. We get together with God's people, worship the living God. I mean, what else takes precedent over that? So hope you have a nice weekend planned. I hope church is a part of it. And I hope in those times when you are thinking, and and there are, again, there are times when you say, let's get away for the weekend. Let's go do something. We need a break. We need to relax. I get that. But if that becomes kind of the the norm where take a break, relax, so we can watch it on live stream. Let's just do that. Now, it's time to, uh, to flip that around. All right. Now, with that said, I, I want to follow up on something that we were talking about in the last hour as uh, Dennis Prager joined us. And I, I mentioned an address that Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Dr. Moeller spoke. This was back in 2013 at Brigham Young University. I mentioned that when he was invited to speak, there were a lot of people who were really curious about how a Southern Baptist would conduct himself, what he would say, what his remarks would be, and how he would comport himself in that 
in that situation. I was one of them. And I remember after he had spoken and the text of his speech came out, I I tucked it away and I thought, I this is something I need to come back to. In our interaction with people where we have significant disagreement on on gospel issues. And by the way, evangelical Christians and Mormons have significant differences on gospel issues. You know that, right? If if you're listening and you're LDS, you you are you go to a Mormon church, you understand that you and I see the gospel, the good news differently. We see Jesus differently. You have a different understanding of Jesus. You have a different understanding of the triune God. The fact that I just said triune, you know that we're not on the same page when it comes to that. And that is not an insignificant matter. So how's the Southern Baptist going to speak to a group of LDS folks? And I just I want to read to you what Al Mohler said as he spoke at BYU. He said, uh, I come to you. I'm honored by this opportunity to address you. I come as a friend among friends to speak as who I am and of what I believe. He says, as a Christian, my ultimate confidence does not rest in marriage or the family or civil society or human rights or any human affirmation of human dignity, no matter how robust. And he had, throughout his speech, he'd been talking about areas where we agree as evangelicals and Mormons. We agree on the importance of the family and the, the significance and sanctity of marriage. We agree on, on uh, the value of life and human dignity and religious liberty issues. So he said, I, I come to you as one who agrees with you on these things. But my ultimate confidence does not rest in these things. He says, my confidence is in the Lord, the unchanging God of the Bible, who revealed himself in the Bible and who redeems sinners through the atonement accomplished by his son, Jesus Christ, who was both fully human and fully divine. Now, you know, when he said that, he was contradicting what Mormons teach. So here he is at BYU in front of those who have invited him, he says, I come to you uh, with with my confidence in the Lord, fully human, fully divine. My confidence is in the gospel revealed by Christ and preached by the apostles, the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. I believe in the saving acts of Christ in his death, burial, and bodily resurrection from the grave. I believe the Bible is our sufficient written revelation Little little bulls going off for the Mormons who have got a second book. That it is inerrant, infallible, and unchanging. I believe God's promise of salvation will be fulfilled and that all he has promised in Christ will be given. I believe in the truth unchanged and unchanging because I believe in the God who tells us in the Bible that he never changes. He said, I can close my eyes at night and I can open them to face each day because I know that my Redeemer lives and that history is in the hands of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know that along with all who come to him by faith are safe in Christ, can trust that he, as the Apostle Paul stated so famously, will be faithful to the end. 
He said, I'm, I'm thankful for the honor of being among you today, the great honor of delivering this forum lecture. These are dangerous times, but also days of hope. In these times, it is vital that we bear witness with each other the matters that matter so much to our nation, our culture, our civilization itself. But we bear witness with each other about these things of such importance. We also must bear witness to each other about what's even more important, what's eternally important. You have been gracious to come and gracious to hear. I pray God will use this lecture to his glory. I pray God's blessing on you until we meet again. I remember reading that and thinking there's there's a, a confidence, a boldness, a clarity. Um, it is said respectfully, not derisively, but he did not mince words. And I'm sure there were some who uh, who looked back and said, should we have invited him? He just He just took us to task theologically. But they knew that, didn't they, when they invited Dr. Moeller to come? I read all of that to say, we need to be thinking, because the Apostle Peter tells us to be thinking about this, we need to be thinking about what we're going to say, how we're going to give a response, give a reason for the hope that is within us wherever we are. How can we do that respectful of others without compromising on what we believe? I think sometimes there are some of us who are so committed to wanting to proclaim truth that we lose sight of the need to be respectful and kind. Here's where I think of Second Peter 2, where uh, or excuse me, Second Timothy 2, where Paul says to Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to all, patient, even enduring evil. That's, that's how we're supposed to act. But in the midst of that, we must be not only full of grace, but full of truth simultaneously. And, and we need to work on that, don't we? We need to figure out how to do that better. And it's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the event that's going to take place uh, two weeks from last night, March 3rd, where Dennis Prager and Jack Hibbs will be in the Ask a Jew, Ask a Gentile forum, where some of these issues can be spoken of clearly and confidently and with respect for one another. And that dialogue can happen. I I think that has happened in the past when Alistair Begg came out and had uh, the conversation with with Dennis Prager and others who have engaged with him as well. He is he's someone deserving of great respect. I'm grateful that he was on our program this afternoon. But I, I just wanted us to be thinking together about how we are prepared to uh, defend our faith in a way that speaks the truth in love, full of grace, full of truth. That's who Jesus is, full of grace, full of truth. That's what we need to be like. All right, I've got something else I want us to talk about in this hour, and I'm going to be curious to hear from you. You, you know who uh, Andrew Yang is? Andrew Yang ran for president back in, in 2020. He was one of the Democratic candidates in their primary. Um, didn't last long, but drew some attention. He had his followers, the Yang Gang, they called themselves. He was proposing some novel ideas. He was getting creative with what he was recommending, including his proposal for a guaranteed minimum income, which I think is a a wrong-headed idea. 
Um, but I, I appreciate somebody who comes along and says, you know, let's let's think out of the box about how we how we should proceed. Again, I think it, I think that's the wrong way to go. But grateful for his wrong-headed thinking. Well, Andrew Yang has started a new political party. What's he called the party that he started? I don't remember what he's calling it, but he started his, oh, the, the forward party. That's what it is. He has started the forward party, and he said, I I don't have a home among the Democrats. I don't have a home among the Republicans. Uh, we need a new political party, and those of us who are kind of in the middle, this is where we need to meet. And I think there are a lot of people who are feeling that they don't have a home among the Republicans or among the Democrats these days. I'm not sure that where Andrew Yang wants to chart his territory is where folks want to go. But he wrote something very interesting. This was a few weeks ago in the Washington Post. I want to see if you agree with this, because this resonated with me when I read it. He said, uh, here is one of the biggest problems facing America. Boys and men across all regions and all ethnic groups, have been failing, both absolutely and relatively, for years. Do you hear what Boys and men across all regions and ethnic groups have been failing, both absolutely and relatively, for years. This, he said, is catastrophic for our country. The data, he says, are clear. Boys are more than twice as likely as girls to be diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Boys are five times as likely to spend time in juvenile detention. And boys are less likely to finish high school. Just three data points. In in our country today, boys are more than twice as likely to have eight, to be diagnosed with ADHD, five times as likely to spend time in juvenile detention, less likely to finish high school. Unfortunately, he says, it doesn't get better when boys become adults. Men now make up only 40% of college students. Male community college enrollment declined by 15% in the year 2020 alone, compared with a 7% decline for women. So in 2020, with COVID, a lot of people didn't sign up for community college, but men were twice as likely not to sign up as women were. Median wages for men have declined since 1990 in real terms. Roughly one-third of men in America now are either unemployed or out of the workforce. Let let that sink in for a second. One-third of men in America unemployed or out of the workforce. More U.S. men between the ages of 18 and 34 are now living with their parents than with their romantic partners. Married or living together. More men, 18 to 34, have moved back in with mom and dad than have gotten married or moved in with their girlfriend. 
This is Andrew Yang again. He says economic transformation has been a big contributor. More than two-thirds of the manufacturing workers are men. That sector has lost more than 5 million jobs since 2000. That's a lot of unemployed men. Not just coincidentally, he says, deaths of despair, deaths caused by suicide or overdose or alcoholism, those deaths have surged to unprecedented levels among middle American, middle-aged men over the past 20 years. Suicide up among middle-aged men in an unprecedented way. He goes on to say, research shows that one significant factor women look for in a partner is a steady job. I remember talking to Pastor Matt Chandler in Dallas. He said, he said I tell young men, he said, you want to know what girls find attractive about a guy? That they have a job. Girls find that really attractive when a guy has a job. And I remember talking to a pastor in, in Northern California, Justin Buzzard, who said, I tell my boys, I said, if, if you want to know about getting married, here are the three steps to getting married. Number one, love Jesus. Number two, get a job. Number three, find a girl who loves Jesus. I thought <laughs> he, he made sure it wasn't just love Jesus and find a girl who loves Jesus. Love Jesus, get a job, find a girl who loves Jesus. Okay, back, back to Ang, Andrew Yang. He says, Research shows one significant factor women look for in a partner is a steady job. As men's unemployment rises, men's romantic prospects decline. You don't have a job, you're less likely to have a girlfriend. Unsurprisingly, he says, according to Pew Research Center, data from 1960 to 2010, the proportion of adults with a college degree who marry has plummeted. It used to be that if you have a college degree, seven out of 10 people with a college degree were going to get married. Today, four and a half out of 10 who have a college degree get married. Some of that is because they're putting it off until later. Some of it is because they're foregoing marriage and just living together. Many boys, he says, are thus often growing up raised by single mothers the number of boys being raised by single mothers has more than doubled between 1980 and 2020. It's gone from 18% of the boys in America being raised by single moms to 40%. By the way, if you're a single mom listening, God bless you for the work that you do. It's tireless. And, and hear me on this. God will take care of your son. Keep praying. Keep entrusting him. Do your best. Get some male voices in his life. A study from 2015 found that as more boys grow up without fathers in their home, and as women are viewed as the more stable achievers, boys and girls alike are coming to see males as having lower achievement orientation. College becomes something that girls do, not something boys do. He said, men have had a long societal advantage over women in some ways, and they continue to be treated favorably. But male achievement alongside that of women is a condition for a healthy society, and male failure begets male failure to society's detriment. Our media 
institutions, public leadership have all failed to address this crisis, framing boys and men as the problem themselves rather than as people requiring help. There's more to this, and and I may read some more of this, but here's my question to you. Do we have the crisis that he's talking about in our culture today? Do, Do we have a crisis when it comes to young boys growing up with a vision to understand what manhood is? Have we talked so much about toxic masculinity that that boys are thinking, well, I guess there's no place for me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 888-52-TALKS is our number. How do we help boys grow up to be healthy young men? How do we point them in the right direction? How do we give them a vision of godly masculinity that they can embrace and, and step into and feel good about and not feel shamed by in the culture? And And I'm just curious... Any any young men who are listening who would say, I've had a struggle with whether it's okay to, for, for me to be a man. 888-52-TALKS is the number. 888-528-2552. Is that right? 888-528-2552. 888-52-TALKS. Or, you know the number. Call us at eight 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 fifty two talks, and uh, love to have your con- uh, your uh, your thoughts on this as the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues. We'll be right back. Southern California Live on KKLA KPRZ. Bob Lapine with you on a Friday afternoon. We're talking about boys becoming men and what we need to be doing to help make that happen. I was reading the thoughts of uh, Andrew Yang, who is saying we've got a crisis in the culture on this issue. In fact, uh, he concludes his remarks by saying, uh, on a cultural level, we have to stop defining masculinity as necessarily toxic and start promoting positive masculinity. He said strong, healthy, fulfilled men are more likely to treat women well. He said, here's the simple truth. I've heard from many men, we need to be needed. We imagine ourselves as builders and soldiers and workers and brothers, part of something bigger than ourselves. We deal terribly with idleness. So what do we do about this? Taking your calls at 888-52-TALKS. Let's go to the phones. Audrey is on the line from L.A. Audrey, thanks for calling on Southern California Live. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this afternoon. I have a lot of issues with what you're saying. or what I, I actually like Mr. Yang, the former presidential candidate. I thought he was very creative and very fascinating. Yeah. And I like creativity. So that was good. But what's going on with girls? I think everything you're talking about is boys this, boys that. And I'm from the generation, we might be about the same age. I graduated from college in 1979, ancient history. Right there with you. And in my, I studied political science and history. And in my political science major, you ready for this? Yep. There were no women professors in my major in 1979. Got it. None. 
There were almost no, I think there was one woman professor in history, none in art history. You know, it was pretty terrible, and that was the last year that more men graduated from college of undergrad than women. The last year. And it was really, really hard to be a woman breaking into all these careers and having to deal with this unbelievable sexism. I don't think you even have the first idea. So give me your big... Give me your... My big takeaway is this. I have a very simple request. I want older men, I want you guys to step up and deal with each other, and I want you to say that women should have representation on the Supreme Court. We need much more elected officials. I want girls to be treated with respect. I want rapists caught and convicted. And I want men to really, really step up on this and stop expecting women to just handle all of this nonsense. Audrey, have you not seen a dramatic shift in the culture since 1979 when you graduated from college? Uh, No, actually not. In my profession, it remains unchanged. When when you graduated from college, Audrey, when you graduated, how many women were on the Supreme Court then? None. How many are on today? None. You know what uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said when she was asked the ideal number of women on the Supreme Court, her famous answer? Yeah. Nine. (laughs) So, So how many are on today? I think we've got about four. So, so I think I think it's three. Amy and Sonia and uh, Elena. I think those are our three women. Yeah, I think justices. Uh, well, we have another proposed candidate. We got a fourth one coming. Okay, so we went from none to three and a fourth one coming. Is that? Are, is there no progress, Audrey? I, I I would say when we have nine women Supreme Court justices for the next couple hundred years, I'll, I'll be happy. So you're looking for reparations I, I, for I, women. I really want, I really, I think it's time for women to govern. I really, really do. Time, to, time to, I think men need to do other jobs. We've had yeah, our 250 years. Let's hand it over to women for the next 250 years and we'll, and things will get better. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So here's what I here's where we agree. You and I will agree that uh, there has been a needed correction in the culture with regard to respect for. Well, first of all, that there is there continues to be a need in the culture for respect for women's voices, respect for women's involvement, that sexism still exists in pockets where we disagree. I think there's been huge strides made. I don't think we're anywhere near where we were on this in 1979. And I think what we're not seeing that we've got to acknowledge is that in the meantime, we've had men who have said, oh, okay. Go ahead. I'll just watch ESPN. You, you go ahead and take over things. And men have drifted. Now, listen, men have drifted into passivity, which is a sin pattern for them. I'm, I'm not saying women need to stop advancing so men won't be passive. That That's on us to be passive. Being passive is our sin issue. But but I am I, 
I just I think we've got to to step up and say progress has been made, but I don't think we correct it by saying, well, let's flip things for the next 250 years and let women run the show. We're we're all men and women both have sin patterns and sin tendencies in our lives. We're we're going to mess things up equally unless we are walking with the Lord. Audrey, thank you for your call. I'm gonna I got to move on. Joe is joining us on Southern California Live. Joe, thanks for calling, and I think we can get you on the air. Can we get you on the air? We'll push the button there for Joe. There you go. Joe, you're up. Hello? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hello. Thank. Good. Thank you for having me. I, You know, I really appreciate you bringing up this issue because I, I, I teach um, high school, and I, um, and I deal with boys all the time, and I deal with a, a situation where, where um, just uh, there's just an exorbitant amount of boys that are just kind of going through the system, maybe even funneling into the prison system, you know. And when I when I speak of us, I think of I think of uh, 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 kids that are uh, are are being bombarded with these with with all these different ideas of what what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman, and then and then you know, not to mention the other all the other genders that are that that have precipitated. Yeah. Um, I think that. But boiled boiled down to it, I think that we need to treat boys like 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 the human beings that they are, and give them the tender, loving care and attention that they deserve, even even when they're huge and big and hairy. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you're if you've got a, a room full of of young adolescent boys, what do you think's the most important message? What do we need to be telling these boys to help them step into what God has? called them to be as godly men well i think that we need to look at the way the media treats uh people that look like them and remind them that that we are all good and that we're all humans before we are anything else Hmm. and that and that they've got a role to play despite the fact that you know despite the fact that they see this huge like your previous caller mentioned or you mentioned about how there's this um this stereotypical toxic masculinity just kind of echoing through the walls of media nowadays and and it's very difficult to go go get sift through all that mess and really get down and 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 see examples of men doing positive things for their children and for their families and you know and so i think they need to realize how important they are to the family structure i think i think that's a huge point and i i'm glad you made it because i do think we need better examples in culture in art in in media of of what what honorable masculinity looks like and i'm not talking about let's go back to rambo and the terminator that that wasn't that was machismo that was not godly masculinity but noble men um you don't find them on sitcoms you don't find them on a lot on netflix they're anti-heroes today instead of being virtuous men and yes there's a lot of derision of men and uh, anything a man thinks or believes is toxic and i can see where a young boy thinks there must be something wrong with me because i have these urges and these impulses and I, i must be wrong and maybe they're starting to think well maybe i should be Gay. I don't know. Eight 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 fifty two talks is the number. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Bobby is on the line from Fillmore. Bobby, thanks for calling. 
You're here, Bobby. Go ahead. I think the important role of a of a father is like the best thing a family. Um, I mean, a family can have, can can possess, can be blessed with. Um, I hate to get personal, but like my dad has told me in the past, how his father was the more machismo yeah. uh, role player as a, as a father. You know, talking about my grandfather, but uh, he never really, you know, spent time or did anything with with him growing up. And I assure my son, he's seven years old. I do as much as I can with him, whether sports, outdoors, hunting, fishing, anything like that. And, you know, the best thing I can talk to my son about growing up and, and becoming a quote-unquote man or a father or husband someday is, you know, just be prepared to provide, to protect, and to discipline, you know, for yourself, for your soon-to-be spouse, for your children, and be the best darn father you can and reassure them and look them in the eyes and let them know how proud you are of them and to tell them you love them. No matter, no matter what they go through in life, no matter uh, how they screw up, there's always, always time for forgiveness and for, um, and for uh, healing within the family. That it's so important. The important role of a dad. I I don't think we can we can uh, overestimate that. And I think it's in, in, important to draw attention not just to having a dad who's present in the home, but a dad who is actively doing what dads need to be doing. I'll tell you a story about that, and we'll continue taking your calls. But we got to break here for a quick timeout. Number to call is eight 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 fifty two talks eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. We're talking about how we can raise boys to be men and what's needed in our culture today. Stephanie, stay on the line. We'll come to you after we take this time out as your Friday edition of Southern California Live continues. Eight 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 fifty two talks is the number eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. The Friday edition of Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about boys being brought up to be men, understanding masculinity, how we how we uh, come back to the virtues of masculinity, recognizing that sinful masculinity is just as bad as sinful femininity. But uh, godly masculinity is something that we need in our in our culture. Stephanie has been hanging on for a while from Burbank. Stephanie, thanks for calling in this afternoon. You're live on Southern California Live. Hello there. I um, when you started the show, you were talking about statistics that uh, there's a lot of un- uh, um, unemployment with um, males. And I'm going yeah. to tell you something that I think is happening. Corporations are hiring women over men because they can give them um, the same job, but maybe they'll pay them uh, twenty or thirty thousand less. So you, it's, and that it's, happened it, to me. You know, like uh, in uh, since the '90s, I'm a very feminine female. I'm proud of it, but I chose male-oriented jobs because they paid more. So what I saw is a certain company that I work for that they kept firing males and giving me their jobs. 
And, you know, they could save all this money for it because, you know, females are, you know, willing to do this, do that, uh, work in this hours, more subservient, more, you know, like uh, following along. And since they kept giving me more responsibility, they assigned um, a male assistant to me. Now, a young man, and uh, I had a lot of meetings and so on. So I would say to this uh, male assistant, okay, we're going to have this big meeting. I need you to, you know, get the coffee ready. And if we run over time, uh, we don't want people to pass out, you know, run, uh, uh, you know, arrange a lunch or whatever. And uh, this particular male assistant says that, well, that's one job. Oh. So, yeah, but you're my assistant. Or, uh, you know, uh, he was clerical. And, well, I need you to go do a tour and the plan and a factory. And you just, you know, check out some boxes. I'll train you. Oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Uh, So uh, it's, I think uh, some males are, uh, you know, well, I'm a guy. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make coffee. I'm not going to order the lunches. I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. You know, so. That's um, called that's called I arrogance. Think, that's called pride. That's called. I mean, that's not. There's not. Who orders the lunches is not a a, a man or a woman issue. It's a, it's an arrogance issue there. Well, no, it's a, the, the what what is your job? You know, yeah, that's right. This uh, my assistant's job, but you know, I saw over and over again that this uh, particular company. I kept getting promoted, but I noticed that you know the same uh, job if a male held it. Was twenty or thirty thousand more. Wow. So the companies are, you know, there's a lot of females in um, higher positions now. But I'm telling you, the companies are doing this because they're saving money. Did you ever raise the issue with your employer and say uh, you are not treating me fairly? Oh, I actually got very sick. I developed, uh, you know, like. Uh, you know, stress disorder and everything, and I ended up, uh, you know, like uh, working comp because they ended up like um, firing uh, five males and gave me all that responsibility. Yeah. And you know, this how can you work uh, five uh, forty hour shifts? You know, and um, so, so I, you know, I, the, 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 I I think we would agree. I I think I'm hoping everybody in the listening audience would say, if you're doing whatever job you're doing, if if you're if you're hired to do a particular job and you're doing that job and that job's value to the company is at X, then it doesn't matter whether it's a man doing the job or a woman doing the job. If you're bringing that kind of value to the company, you should uh, you should earn at an equivalent level. I, I I hope we're past the stage where we would think, well, a man should make more because of X or Y or Z. No, I, I think for the work you do, you do it at 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 the same amount. And I think we've seen some growth in that area. But I do wonder if if some guys are are being uh, excluded from the workforce and just going, well, okay, I guess there's not a place for me here. Uh, Stephanie, I appreciate your call. I want to get to Selena, who's in Pasadena, who's calling in this afternoon. 888-52-TALKS is the number. Selena, welcome to the program. Well, good afternoon, Bob. Thank you so much for taking me. I've never been on here before, but thank you. I'm glad you are today. Thanks. Well, lovely. Well, number number one is, um, from my own experience, raised by a single mother with five children. My father wow. was in the movies with Elvis Presley and John Wayne, and he was in the Westerns, but he died when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And my mother did a phenomenal job. Um, she was 
a humble lady. She uh, had to work three jobs, took us with her, and we all turned out just lovely. Now, that said, now, uh, fast forward today, um, I have three sons. I have a husband that I still take care of and three sons. I'm not done yet. And I'm a nanny to three boys. So that's wow. boys. I'm not done. <laughs> and my nephew moved in. My lovely nephew, DJ, moved in um, with us for a year and a half. And that was eight boys. And so he moved out. But my whole my whole point, I'm going to go get back to the point. So I think that um, all men should be like Christ. And 1 Corinthians 16.3 tells them to, do, to stay alert, to be strong, and to act like men. Yep. Jesus Christ is the number one goal, and that's found in the Word of God, right? That's how all these men, they have a guidebook, and that is the rule, the statutes, God's holy law, His holy rule and His statutes are all, and all wisdom is found in the Scriptures, Proverbs 1-7. And 1 Corinthians 16-3 tells them to uh, be strong. And so to all fathers, we praise you, we lift you up. Uh, we feminine moms at home who are both strong and feminine at the same time. I'm five foot eleven and almost two hundred pounds. I'm a very feminine girl, but I'm very strong as well because of the the word of God in my life, mm. and I'm so grateful. But back to men and all all you fathers, we praise you, and we we don't want to beat you up. We want to honor you and praise you. And and I want to go. Uh, Selena, thank you, thank you for calling. I want to go to the the scripture that you were talking about there, because First Corinthians sixteen verses thirteen and fourteen are key verses for for all of us as guys to to tuck away, be on the alert. The Apostle Paul says so. For, for us, we need to keep our eyes open, be aware of what's going on, stay alert, don't fall asleep, be be care, be, be looking out for what's going on. Stand firm in the faith. That's the second thing it says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Don't don't waver in the faith. Act like men. And it's interesting. If you get into that word, act like men, the, the Greek word andridzomai, it's also translated in other places, be courageous. Be Have courage. Men needs to to have to show some backbone and some courage. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then the next verse says, and let all that you do be done in love. I used to take my sons out when when they were uh elementary school, late elementary school. We'd go out on Saturday morning. I bought them a notebook and a pen and I said, We're gonna go get biscuits on Saturday morning and we're going to we're going to have manhood training and i would take them out and i would talk to them about what men do and they would tell you some of them today could tell you that they learned from dad at breakfast on saturday mornings that men have to reject passivity and accept responsibility and they have to lead courageously they could recite for you first corinthians 16:13 and 14 be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. We have to recognize that there are God made men and women with differences. George Gilder, who worked at Harvard for years, said biology shows this men are more aggressive than women, 
more exploratory than women, more volatile than women, more competitive, more dominant, more visual, more abstract, and more impulsive. They're more muscular, they have stronger appetites, and they're taller. Men are less nurturant, less moral, less domestic, less durable, less healthy, and less dependable, less balanced, and less close to the ground. <laughs> God made us different. Now, and you, you read through that list, and, and it's back to what uh, Cecilia just said. What really matters is, are we following Christ, and are we putting to death those things that are ungodly, and are we stepping into those things that are godly as men, and as we, are we training our sons to be godly men? Let me squeeze in one more call. Yolanda's on the line in North Hollywood. Yolanda, thanks for calling this afternoon. All right. I have you on speaker. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, as I told the screeners that I'm sitting here listening to you and, and your callers calling in, and I'm I'm just coming to the conclusion that at the end of the day, you know, and, and you just wrapped it up that way, is I, I pray about my adult son who's living with me in Southern California because of a couple of reasons, because I got sick, because of the economy. Um, he's not really at... 30-something, not married, I don't have grandchildren. I'm a Christian mother, and, uh, you know, the world would look at him as being very undeveloped in terms of socialization, in terms of where he should be at his age, you know, his status. But I don't, I don't worry about the world. Right. It used to bother me. It used to affect me, and I'd call friends and crying on their shoulder until... The Holy Spirit says, stop calling your friends. Hmm. They can't do anything about it. Call me. I mean, talk to me. And that's the way I'm going to approach it from now on. I just, I talk to the, the Holy Spirit, ask him to please deliver my son and uh, to help him be more of a man. But I, I did ask him to help him be a godly man. He sees his mother walking in the Christian faith. And I just prayed the same thing for him also. And Yolanda, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you in that prayer, and I think our listeners will as well. There are a lot of moms who can relate to what you're talking about, that our young boys, our young men would step into what it means to be a godly young man and accept responsibility, reject passivity, step into to leading courageously, to, to make their lives count and matter for the kingdom Thank you for calling. We join you in that prayer. Thanks to all of you for the conversation this afternoon. Have a great weekend. Go to church on Sunday, every Sunday. We'll see you back next week for more Southern California Live. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.